Good morning and welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. You have come to a house of prayer for all nations, a safe place where strangers become friends. So if you're a guest with us today, we just anticipate that by the end of this morning, you will no longer be a stranger to us or us to you, but you will go out a friend. Thanks for being with us, and we trust that the presence and goodness of the Lord will surround you this day. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I would like to ask you to turn with me. And I'm getting a lot of extra something here, Sam, so I just seem kind of hot or something. If you would turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to take the Bible that's located here in a seat rack in front of you and pull it out because this morning you're not going to see anything going up on the screen. We're going to just simply interact here this morning with the Scripture and with the Word here. So please join me. Last week we received a message from John Wanzalema that um, confirmed in my heart um, a sense of what the Lord was saying to us here now. In this year of outpouring, He is inviting us to make not only strategic shifts, but a radical shift. And that radical shift comes in the heart of repentance. And as Pastor John was sharing last week and as I was praying this week, I heard... um, just a phrase in my spirit um, that has shaken me deeply. And the phrase was this, the axe is at the root. And as I went and began to explore that, um, it brought me to this passage that we're going to be looking at here this morning in Luke 3. Luke 3 begins an entirely new section of the Gospel of Luke. Eighteen years have elapsed from the end of Luke 2, the last verse of Luke 2, to the first verse of Luke 3. Eighteen years transpires in between. And Luke, the historian, gives us some historical setting here for what is to come in our passage. He writes, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. He begins here with the broadest perspective in terms of geopolitical reality with the empire of Rome. Now, Tiberius Caesar is the second of the Caesars, the successor of Augustus. He became Augustus's co-regent, co-leader in A.D. 11 or 12, 
and became full emperor in A.D. 14. So in the 15th year, we're talking about now 28 or 29 A.D., Augustus, Tiberius, Caesar, the successor of Augustus, the second ruler of Rome. It says, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. Now, tetrarch simply means a ruler of a fourth. It would be um, the most similar word to ours would be that of a governor. So we have Pilate, Herod, Philip, and Licinius. Here now is the political organization of... Israel and of Palestine in that time. And so we've taken the lens and moved from the grand geopolitical now to the more tight geopolitical of the people of God and how they are being ruled. Herod the Great died in 4 BC after his reign of 40 years and divided the kingdom between three of his sons. One of those sons was so evil And so horrible that he was removed by the Roman government and Pontius Pilate was put in his place. And now there are these four who are covering. We have Herod, Philip, I'm sorry, Pontius, Herod, Philip, and Licinius covering those four regions. And then it says, verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now we have moved from the geopolitical to the religious political, the priesthood, the civil and religious head of the community of God's people. A very politically charged position. From 37 B.C. to 26 A.D., there were 28 different high priests. People didn't last long in that job. Annas had been from 7 to 14 A.D., the longest of any of those, and then four of his sons, and then his son-in-law, Caiaphas, followed succeeding after him. He had, in effect, established a dynasty, and he was standing behind the throne. And so... As he was standing behind the throne, he had incredible power and influence and was also quite a uh, questionable character. So we have Rome, we have Israel, Palestine, we've got the religious hierarchy, all in view. And then notice what it says next. And I want you to take note of this. Because this is one of the most significant phrases in this entire passage, but could be so easily overlooked. It says, in this 15th year, when all of these things were happening, during the high priesthood, The second part of verse 2 now says this, The Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert or in the wilderness. 
Now, I want you to notice something here because Luke gives us all of this background for a purpose and a reason. He's painting a picture of all of the political power and all of the religious power. And then he says this. That the word of the Lord came to John in the desert. And this is the way the word of God has come down through the ages and continues to come today. We look to hear the Word of God and the Word of the Lord to come from the corridors of power. But the reality and the fact is this, the Word of the Lord always comes from the margins, from the desert, from the wilderness places and speaks into the corridors of power. And He comes to us in our deserts and in our wilderness places. And it is there that He comes with His Word. And the Word here is the rhema Word of God. It is that live Word issuing forth from His very mouth. And he comes to John. John, whose name means the Lord has been gracious. The son of Zechariah. The Lord who remembers. It's been 30 years since we've heard of John. Back in the stories told for us in Luke chapter 1 of John the Baptist's birth. And and. If you look at Luke 1, verse 80, it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit and lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. His character was formed in the desert place. His hearing was formed in the desert place. His spirit was nourished in the desert place. And now, after 30 years, remember there's 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. For 400 years, there has been silence. And then, suddenly there's this Burst of prophetic activity in Luke chapter 1 and 2 at Jesus and John's birth. But the Spirit speaks and the Word comes to a few specific individuals. But now, as we turn the chapter into Luke chapter 3, suddenly the Word of the Lord is coming publicly and speaking, thundering out of the desert suddenly you hear this voice crying. 
Verse 3, He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one shouting. The word there literally means shouting in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, and the crooked roads shall become straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. to tell you this morning the Lord is drawing you very near he is very near he is coming close and his word to his people his word to us this morning, the rhema word of God to this house is this, prepare the way for the Lord. And John quoting here the prophet Isaiah. Gives us instruction for that preparation. It begins with a humbling of ourselves before Him. We really don't understand humility very well. We think of humility as sort of self-annihilation of some kind or some sort of a, of a, uh, of a, um, a distorted sort of worm theology thing that we get in our heads. But humility is simply seeing ourselves as we truly are. As God sees us. And a humble heart is a heart that has been leveled and straightened and smoothed. Look at what Isaiah... John, quoting Isaiah, says here, or what is said of John here, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's, make straight paths for him. This is, this is a, the, the picture here is of the, the Roman conquerors when they would go into a city and they would create, like in France, the Champs-Élysées, that, that huge boulevard that, that would level before the king's coming. But now the picture is not simply coming into the, the, the picture is he's going through the wilderness, he's walking through the lands, and every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. In other words, in your and my heart, it is the Lord's desire. To take every valley, every low place, every place where we have failed 
every place where we find ourselves immersed in shame, every place where the enemy continues to remind us of our inadequacies and our lacks and our inabilities and our failures, every valley, he wants to fill up with his grace. Every mountain and hill made low. Every place where we feel strong. Every place where we think, I can do it myself. Every place of triumph. Every place where we have status or power or recognition. Every place where we subconsciously think that we have the ability to do it on our own. He wants to once again bring us to the very end of ourselves and bring those mountains down. Every crooked road shall be made straight. In our lives, we've taken numbers of different shortcuts that have turned into long cuts. Because of our own willfulness and our rebellion against God. Because we have thought we know a better way. Come on, I'm not the only one who thinks I know a better way. Really, God, if you just understood a bit better, you'd know. But the Lord wants to take every place in us, every place where we have erected our own thoughts over Him, every place where there has been vain imagination, every place where we have marked out our own road, He wants to take those crooked places and straighten them back. In every rough place, smooth. Every single one of us in this room have had hearts that have been made rough, that have been calloused because of wounds and hurts in our lives. Every one of us have experienced the pains. of being harmed, being hurt, being betrayed, being whatever has happened in our lives. And those calluses have formed and our hearts have become rough. And the Lord wants to come and smooth out our hearts. He is saying to us this morning, He is saying to this house, prepare the way. Let go of your failures. Let go of your triumphs. Let go of your rebellions. Let go of your hurts. Prepare the way of the Lord. 
so that all mankind will see His salvation. Luke has been said to be the Gospel writer to the Gentiles. He is concerned about all of the nations, all of humanity. And so he begins again with Rome and he begins with Palestine and Israel and he begins here with the the Jewish people. He begins with all of those things and he says the Lord is making a road right into the very center of the corridors of power. And that road is humble hearts before Him. Oh God, grant us the grace of humility in our hearts and in this house. Please God, grant us the grace of humility. We go on, Luke 3. Please keep following with me. If you don't have your Bible out, pull it out. Luke 3, verse 7. And John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. John probably wouldn't have had much of a Ministry as a televangelist. Wouldn't have been real popular. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our God. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The second prerequisite to this preparing of the way of the Lord, the humble heart and the spirit and the gift and the grace of repentance. To turn away and turn towards. Last week in the second service, Carlos shared, Carlos Hernandez shared a a prophetic word that that he had just, just that morning, he had been just meditating upon and the Lord was just slicing up his heart out of Jeremiah 15, which is a very heavy and weighty word, a word spoken to a nation. And it would behoove us to spend some time and pray around that. For the Lord is speaking not only to us individually and not only to us as a church, but He is speaking to our nation. And He's calling. And it says in verse 19, Therefore this is what the Lord says, If you repent... 
I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you'll be my spokesperson. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze, and they'll fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue you, declares the Lord. And the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah and says, these people are hard. They do not want to turn. But if you turn, and if they will turn, I will come and restore. And I tremble, people, when I hear the Lord say that the axe is at the root. What it means is is the axe is no longer hanging up in the storage shed. The axe is no longer buried somewhere behind The axe has been taken out. The blade has been sharpened. And the picture here is is that the axe is on the ground next to the roots of the tree. And what it means is that the judgment of the Lord is imminent. if we do not turn to Him, if we continue to hide or try to hide behind our pedigree as well, my parents went to church or I went to church or my, my grandparents went to church or I'm whatever, I'm a good person or I do, all of those things that we try to hide behind and justify ourselves. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What shall we do then? What shall we do? And John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, the one who has food should also do the same. Tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance Let there be a conversion, a genuine transformation that is evidenced in the fruitfulness of your life. To live life of justice, of integrity, of generosity. Show the fruit of repentance, not just mend your roads, mend your hearts. Hmm. 
And the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. Could this be the one we've waited for? Could this be the Messiah? Verse 16. And John answered them all. I baptize you with water. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the chaff, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. By the way, just in case you were thinking that this is like a bad news message, this is the good news. The invitation to humility, the invitation to repentance, the invitation to conversion, it is good news. And the invitation here is the invitation to come to the baptizer, the true baptizer. Yes, John says, I am baptizing you with water, but one whose thong of his sandal I am unworthy to untie. There's symbolism around that. A disciple of a rabbi was was expected to do everything for his master. The only thing that he wouldn't do, because only a slave would do, would be to touch the foot by untying a sandal. But John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. That which would only be a slave's to do, I'm not even worthy to untie. And this one who is coming, this Jesus, He is coming to baptize us with the Spirit and with fire. And the winnowing fork is in his hand. Now here's, here's a very important picture. After the harvest has happened and the wheat has been brought in, then it was, they would take that and they would take the harvest and they would take it to the highest, barest place on the land. And the wheat, it would be crushed. It would, they, they would just crush the grains to break off the, the kernel from the, the chaff, the things around the kernel. And then after it was taken off, then they would take this winnowing fork, this, this fork, and, and, and the, the grain and, and the chaff, everything would be thrown up into the air. And because it was on a, a bare, high, windy place, the wind would come across and it would blow the chaff away and the, and the seed would fall back to the ground. And thus it would be separated. And the Spirit of the Lord comes. In Hebrews chapter 4 it says, The living Word of God comes and it lays bare our hearts. He lays it bare and He brings us to the bare place. So that He could separate out in our hearts the wheat and the chaff. And His fire comes to burn up the chaff. And here's what that fire will do. 
It will burn and destroy everything that it cannot purify. And it will purify everything it cannot destroy. And He is after us. He is after our self-righteousness. He is after our judgmentalism. He is after our hypocrisy. To immerse us in His presence. The wind, the ruach, the breath of God. The fire, the fuego, the fire of His revelation, of His purification. I tell you today, in this word that I bring to you today, is a word that comes first and foremost to my very own heart. And I'm before you this morning as your pastor to tell you that I hear His voice in my heart calling calling me to humble myself to repent to bear the fruit of true conversion to be baptized afresh. At the end of wilderness and the desert places where he's coming. Do you hear his voice today? He brought John Wanzalima all the way from Tanzania to speak to us. Word is true. <laughs> Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart.
husband. Open your heart today. Young and old. you want to respond I'm not going to ask the worship team to come right now I'm just going to ask you to respond just respond you can come to this altar you can kneel where you are you can do just respond let him speak to your heart right now oh God